Okay. Perfect. I think we're now on with uh, with, with uh, the audience. Uh, greetings, everyone. Spanos Katambas from uh, Reed Smith in London, and we have a great panel today to discuss um, how we uh, shipping companies navigating their corporate strategy in a fast changing industry, and I would add in a very fast changing environment, um, really um, experiencing uh, unprecedented um, events over the last few months. Um, with us, we have um, Yanis Afirakis, um, Director and Interim CFO, Treasurer and Secretary for Diana Shipping. Uh, Mr. Paul Wogan, CEO of Gaslog and Gaslog Partners. Marco Fiori, CEO of Bermuda. Uh, Mr. Hamish Norton, President of Starbucks, and uh, Bing Chen, Chairman and President and CEO of CISPAN Corporation. Um, an exceptional panel. Uh, a number of factors are impacting the shipping industry today. Lack of equity capital, whether uh, via the public or private markets. Scarce traditional debt financing, unless one is willing to consider credit funds or other leasing platforms. An increased regulatory environment, whether in the form of sanctions that we're seeing the U.S. impose or uh, more generally an impact on the, of the ESG principles. And last but not least, uh, COVID disruption and various ongoing geopolitical parameters, whether that is the, the U.S. elections that are coming up or various geopolitical tensions. That creates an, an overall recipe that uh, uh, poses a lot of risks uh, and, and makes it more difficult for um, a, a company, any company, and uh, even more so in the shipping, uh, which is traditionally very global, to uh, operate and project uh, um, future strategy. In this backdrop, we will evaluate and discuss the approach of the shipping groups uh, that are, uh, the panelists uh, are part of to grow and gain market share, as well as position themselves for delivering value to the shareholders. Uh, we have 40 minutes for the panel. There's a Q&A button, and by all means, feel free to, to uh, post questions. And towards the end, we will uh, aim to allocate some time to address uh, audience questions. Uh, if we run out of time, uh, and Nicholas uh, uh, presses on us to, 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 to finish off, we will endeavor to address the question to the right panelists and come back to you by email. With that, um, I'd like to start with Marco. And, and uh, Marco, in this environment, you're currently in charge of a broad strategy backed by private equity shareholders. Would you identify uh, fleet diversification as key in managing risk? Okay. Well, I think when, uh, when uh, uh, Panos, when you were saying about our industry, you said uh, uh, interesting, but I think also it's very challenging times what we're going through. I think what used to be uh, the normality a few years ago has been completely, been completely changed. Uh, I'm part of um, the CEO of this uh, Premuda, of this company called Premuda, which has been acquired by, is a subsidiary of KKR, so it's a private equity fund. Uh, when I joined, we had a smaller fleet of about 11 ships. Now we're going towards the 28, 29 number of ships that we either manage or we own. So there's been kind of a big growth in the last year and a half. Uh, for sure, there is, there is a different approach. In the past, I've also been CEO of a publicly listed company. So I, I think I've seen both sides of the equation. I've been seeing how you do it on the private side, how you do it on the public side. 
and there is big differences. And then there is also the challenge of private equity funds, who's an additional challenge to the work that we do all day. I think there is very much on their side a focus on performance, which that's fair enough, it's kind of correct. And I think also there is a very uh, focus on uh, more on a strategic side that they want to see a little bit what kind of game plan you have and how you're bringing it forward. So there is, uh, there is that, uh, that, that emphasis uh, in, uh, on private equity funds. If you ask me the difference on the private, uh, on the private and then an another public, uh, public company, uh, I would say that on the public company, uh, there is a big emphasis always on performance, but there is also uh, an emphasis in shorter term uh, gratification of, of shareholders. But also this is becoming very complicated because uh, uh, we've seen, especially in the tanker space, we have tankers and dry cargo, so we're actually a little bit diversified. But uh, on, on this gratification and this immediate gratification, it's kind of amazing how you see companies in areas that have been performing very well, uh, they're, going, they're issuing great results, and then at the end of the day, they're still, uh, they're still quoting for 50% uh, net asset value. It seems that it's really a difficulty in uh, bringing shipping back in everybody's interest. Probably we promised, uh, the industry has promised more than what it could deliver. Uh, probably in the last year, we've not been able to deliver, but there is a very strong resistance on, on this point of view. And uh, when you are in a publicly listed company, you certainly feel this pressure of every day seeing investors, actual investors, potential investors, and there's always this uh, feeling of discontent that you feel in a, so that's uh, that's a little bit very 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 challenging. So. Totally agree. And I, what I usually what I usually do this in the panels, and Please, I don't agree entirely with the what it was said about the publicly listed companies. From the moment you deliver what you have promised, and you are disciplined in the way you have <laughs> described in your prospectus and the conference calls what you are doing, there is no pressure whatsoever from the public shareholders. The pressure usually comes from the private shareholders in a private company, where the interest of the private investor usually is shorter term than what the company sees. And then you have a problem with the private investor. This is my opinion. No, I agree with you, but you know, often you're totally in line with your offering memorandum, everything. But it seems that sometimes whatever you do, people are never happy also in the publicly listed companies. And, <laughs> and it doesn't get rewarded whatever you're doing. Yeah. And you never get to that yeah. magical unicorn area where it's never plus. You know, you're always Whether we, are, we sleep peacefully during the night and we feel good with ourselves, yeah. what we have delivered. What okay. well, people, people were happy in 2008. Yeah. <laughs> and and what has changed, Hamis? What has changed from 2008? Why why that what that trend and what was achieved uh, back then sort of started grading? What what happened and and how do we move forward uh, at this stage? Well, yeah, I mean, in 2008, obviously um, there were more there were there were more cargoes looking for ships than there were ships to be had. And, you know, investors were chasing after shipping company equities because they were afraid of missing out 
on the on the profits. And uh, then, of course, you know, people built ships as fast as they could. And uh, I recall that the earliest delivery slot that you could obtain in 2007 and 2008 was at a shipyard that did not at that point exist. Um, so those are you know, the good times. <laughs> indeed, since 2008, everybody's been, you know, to a greater or lesser degree unhappy with shipping. And, you know, I think at this point, the, the average investor is so unhappy with shipping that, um, you know, if, if, if as an investor you have an interest in shipping, that is a little bit like declaring that you have an interest in, you know, antique pornography. It's not something that you really want to admit to. <laughs> yeah. I was looking at Q&A. Somebody said, asked us uh, for the scrubber adopters on the panel, is it time to apologize for this use of shareholders' capital? Someone now is pressing my, bot my button here. No, I'm not going to start. I think you Yeah. I, I, I think when when jet fuel um, starts to be consumed by large numbers of jets carrying large numbers of people all around the world, you know, shipping will start to do better, but also scrubbers will start to do better uh, because, you know, it, it's the lack of demand for jet fuel, uh, among other things, but I think largely that which is causing uh, the price of very low sulfur fuel oil to be as low as it is. But, well, Yanni, if I may, Yanni, I know you, you said you, you probably, not to get you started, but I'll, I'll take the opportunity to get you started. I wanna hear your perspective in terms of how Diana navigated the fuel changes and, 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 and your views on, on the issue. Now, uh, if you are referring to the Scrabble story, Sometimes companies make mistakes, sometimes they are unlucky, and uh, investing in scrubbers was a bad idea. It's, it's okay, it happens. Now, uh, as regards how we navigate in the new environment regarding the new fuel requirements, um, of course, um, we are very happy that we didn't spend any money on scrubbers. We are very happy that we don't have any issues operating the scrubbers highly corrosive already, we hear to some of the vessels. And um, uh, as regards now, the new regulation that is coming and the big problem about what type of fuel is gonna be used for propulsion in the vessels, I think uh, that uh, we have to stay in a position and see the development of things. We always believe that the settlers, is, they are not the ones in the U.S. The settler, the ones that they found the, the U.S. They didn't make a lot of money. The settlers did. So we are waiting. We are there to to see what is happening. We are following the whole story, and we will be re ready to invest in the appropriate type of vessels and uh, appropriate fuel uh, uh, used for propulsion. Do you, do you think LNG could be the answer uh, in terms of the, the fuel to be utilized? Who am I to know? Uh, nobody really knows, I think. 
As someone who carries LNG, absolutely. You should be going <laughs> out and ordering LNG-powered ships I, now. There's no, I, doubt, I there's, no, there's no doubt about that. Huh? I set this up for you, Paul. So uh, yeah, let, yeah. let's hear your perspective, uh, both on, the, uh, on this point, but also more generally, you're kind of you're at the intersection between shipping and energy. So I don't know if that gives a different view in terms of how the public markets may be approaching uh, companies like yours and, 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 and a broader combined sector, let's say, when you add the energy dimension into that. Uh, be keen to hear your thoughts. Well, well just, just going back to the scrubbers, um, I remember going to many uh, conferences uh, of, you know, in the two years uh, up to the sort of uh, implementation of the regulations and listening to scrubbers or no scrubbers. For us, it, it wasn't an issue because our ships run on LNG most of the time um, and we didn't, you know, and, and we can use uh, other fuels when we're not doing that. So it wasn't an issue for us. And all I remember doing, every time I heard a, a conversation, an argument about it, thinking, thank God I don't have to make that decision because I'm pretty certain I'd make the wrong one. Um, so I have, my sympathy goes out to my fellow uh, members who had to work their way through that. Um, but, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but the question no. in the chat room, in the Q&A uh, part of uh, this uh, panel, uh, I was the one that I put it. <laughs> the anonymous there is me. Yeah, yeah no. okay, we, we, well, we will come, we will, we, okay, okay. We will come to that. Okay. Sorry, Paul, yeah. go on. Sorry, Paul. Yeah, when, when, and then on your second question, Palace, when, when, you, when we look at, or when I look at uh, capital markets, I, kind of, I obviously looked at it from the energy space uh, perspective for shipping, because we're part of the, of the energy chain. <clears throat> and if you think things are bad in shipping, just think about energy. Back in 2008, energy was 13% of the S&P 500. Today, it's around 2% uh, of the S&P 500. ExxonMobil back in 2008 was the world's most valuable company in August, it fell out of the Dow uh, Jones 100 index for the first time in nearly 100 years. So energy is just not in favor with investors right now. And we, as a subset of that energy space in shipping, we're a tiny, tiny proportion of the market. And uh, it's very difficult, I think, to get a story across which um, which resonates with with um, with shareholders right now, and so it's a it's a difficult place to be. But if I you know Hamish makes a good point about 2008. If I go back, you know we we took the company public in 2012. We had two ships on the water and eight on order. If you fast forward to 2020, we've got 32 ships on the water and four on order. And at 200 million dollars a pop. Basically, the way we did that was using the capital markets. So it can be incredibly, um, you know, productive for shipping, but you, your timing is everything. And there are going to be periods when it works really well for shipping and, and periods when it doesn't. And, you know, we, we have to find a way to try to navigate through that and take the advantages of, uh, of the capital markets, I think. So, so would you say that what we are experiencing now is more uh, a, a cyclicality issue or, or something more permanent towards the broader, let's say, energy sector? Um, I think it's I think there's a certain amount of structural uh, uh, disinterest in energy right now. If 
but I kind of liken it to the tobacco industry. You know, for a long time, the tobacco industry has been very much out of favor. You know, it's seen as a pariah in the market, but actually gives very good returns and very good dividends to its shareholders. The need for energy, you know, much as we'd love to be in a carbon neutral world, the, the need for hydrocarbon energy cannot go away anytime soon. And so I do believe there are actually going to be some great opportunities um, in the energy space and in energy shipping space to, um, to take advantage of that need for energy over a long period of time and actually produce good returns for investors. Paul, can I ask you Len? one thing? Yeah, it's Marco. Um, I, I, I agree with you. What I don't understand is that energy is not popular today, but then we all live when we're surrounded by energy. It seems that, you know, when I like the nine, shipping is not very popular today, but everything that we use, we touch has been on a ship at a certain point of its cycle. And then when you link it to tobacco, uh, tobacco industries for sure is a very mature industry and growth in those industries has been made, mainly has been lately done through consolidation because, you know, it's not an internal expansion, but it's been buying other competitors in the same area of business. So you see this kind of cycle in for shipping because the world cannot forego energy, like you say, and cannot forego shipping. There are two things that you cannot live without it if we want to keep our actual standard of living. Uh, I, see, I see Mr. Chen, everything has been on a container one day or another, you know, everything has been. So I, I, I can't wrap my hand around of this, uh, this, this love of this lack of uh, enchantment with the sector, when everything that we have around, we touch, we use, uh, we need, we crave has been on a ship. That's amazing. I found it there. Agree. Uh, Bing, what, what are your thoughts also from the perspective of the container markets? But also, I'd like to, to, to hear also about the, you know, you commented when we were doing the, the testing and the rehearsals for this around the, the market fragmentation in the shipping industry. How do you view that? And is, is consolidation an answer to some of the problems that we're talking about here? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I just use an analogy of the tobacco industry. First of all, uh, you know, we are in a business which is very capital intensive. As a capital intensive in, in the industry, uh, I think, you know, to have a public uh, company to have access to the capital markets is relatively easier. So I think, you know, in addition to all the benefits of having a public company, whether it's transparency, um, you know, governance, and also the access to the capital markets, I think in general, it will be beneficial, uh, in my view, to have a public company. Uh, in terms of the industry in the container space, um, I, I think the market is extremely fragmented. Uh, today, uh, C-SPAN is the largest owner and operator in the container space that we have a total capacity of 1.1 million TEU with uh, 127 vessels. But we only account for about 8% of the market. So the market is very fragmented. Going forward, uh, I believe that the trend is definitely the consolidation, the further consolidation. The reason being that, uh, first of all, our line of customers has gone through a significant consolidation. As you know that today, you know, eight liners company accounts for 85% of the market. Um, so the liner company, the focus is more of a focusing on so-called door-to-door services. They're focusing on more and more into their end customer to deliver the quality and efficient services. 
So therefore, they have to allocate their you know, focus and capital into more of um, you know, along the vertical value chain, not just on the shipping side, but also looking at air, looking at the ground transportation and logistics. So that being said, as their business more focusing on you know, the quality of service to their end customer, they need to have the, you know, the partners like uh, you know, C-SPAN that we can provide a solution. We provide the flexibility, the scale, and the quality and reliability. You know, for example, you're talking about Scrubber, you're talking about IMO 2020, you're talking about ESG. I mean, that's another topic. I think today it's, it's uh, you know, increasingly all these things requires investments, resources. Um, and, and I think that uh, that is also evidenced by the fact, for example, over the past 11 months, we have acquired, uh, we have acquired 15 vessels uh, over the past 11 months. And all these acquisitions are driven by our customers because they would like to have a, you know, a partner like C-SPAN be able to provide a solution to them uh, and therefore that demand is driven by them so that we were able to you know, have that kind of you know, the execution on the growth. And going forward, we see this increasingly trend from the liners company looking for a solution provider as their partner instead of providing a vessel. Vessel alone is much more a commodity. Uh, liners today is looking for flexibility, looking for the partners can provide the accounting technology, finance, operations, and all these solutions which is embedded in the vessel. And that's what I think the driver, both from the liner perspective, which is our customer, and also from our own space, which you know, in our space is extremely fragmented today. I think you know, we, the, the operators, owners, needs to have the scale to provide that kind of a, you know, solutions to our customer. Thank you. I would like to turn it to Hamish and, and comment a bit on the consolidation because we've seen Starbucks um, in the past uh, growing through acquisitions using its stock as currency for some of them. So I'd like to, to hear the perspective from uh, an operator in the dry sector uh, publicly listed and how they approach uh, the consolidation issue and strategy. Uh, well, you know, I, I agree with uh, with Bing Chen that consolidation is important. Um, you know, what will drive consolidation in the dry bulk industry is a reduction of costs for the larger, more consolidated entity. Um, now, that's not likely to be operating expenses because I think you know, uh, by the time you get to star bulk size, operating expenses probably are as low as they will get as a function of size. There may be some reduction in overheads, but uh, that is overheads per ship per day as you get larger. But again, that's the, those those are diminishing returns with size as as you get larger yes the, the 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 marginal cost of operating you know one marginal ship in terms of overhead is is reduced but you know as you get larger you do have to put in much more expensive complex systems to make sure that you're doing a quality job um, with your management 
So, you know, I think, I think the, the real um, cost savings will be capital costs. Uh, uh, you know, costs of borrowing money, costs of equity. Um, now, uh, unfortunately, to really consolidate the industry, it is important that at least the larger companies have a, a value per share that is at least as great as the liquidation value of the company. Um, you know, the so-called net asset value. And, uh, you know, without the equity value being greater than the net asset value, it, it certainly is harder to consolidate. Now, now we have done a few transactions um, where we've acquired fleets uh, for shares and cash. Um, and the sellers of the fleets have accepted our shares valued at net asset value. Um, and, um, you know, that those transactions can be very attractive for both sides. But I have to say they're quite a bit more difficult to do than if our share were valued at a premium to net asset value. And, um, you know, uh, at some point, um, if if a public company cannot trade for a substantial fraction of the time above net asset value, there's not that much point in being public. Um, you know, if if you're not able to, you know, attractively use your equity to grow, then you know the the, the public markets really are not that much use. Of course, if you're not able to use your equity to attractively grow, that's probably an indication that the investment in shipping over that period was probably not the most attractive investment either. You know, what, what we're waiting for, frankly, is for the cycle that peaked in 2008 um, and that hopefully hit a trough in 2016 in dry bulk. Uh, I really hope it was a trough in 2016 um, <laughs> to come back. And, you know, I think when it comes back, we will see consolidation probably taking off. May I say something? Because there was a question from Marco talking about high demand and not being able to understand why the market was low. And then Pano said, what about consolidation? Is this going to help? No, you understand that consolidation, the number of vessels that they stay in the water is the same. Consolidation directly doesn't help the market to improve by itself. It doesn't do anything good for the market. Well, what consolidation well, does for the market is it, is it puts the control of the vessels into fewer hands. And frankly, when and the vessels are held by the, fewer hands, they're strong okay. hands and they the can scrap ships. Yeah. Okay. Right. But we are talking there a mon monopoly or oligopolio or uh, ending up in this situation. We are not talking about someone controlling 5% and being able to, to change the charter rates. No, this we're talking about five companies controlling 20% each. I think the other like thing is, uh, from from a capital markets point of view, you really need to be a certain size. You, 
unless you're over a billion dollars, lots of funds, lots of investors won't even look at you. And so the, you know, the, the consolidation works in the capital markets, if it helps you to grow to a size where you actually have good liquidity in your stock and you reach a certain um, market value, which makes you attractive uh, to investors. Whatever we have a lot of companies who are struggling below that level, shipping's not going to be interesting to investors, uh, uh, to public market investors. Uh, so good, yeah. li good liquidity means uh, more money into the market and uh, more vessels into the market and a worse market at the end of the day. So I'm talking about liquidity of shares, yeah. not liquidity uh, of vessels. Liquidity being able to raise money from the public and what you do, you buy vessels. So you no, you don't necessarily buy new vessels, though. Okay, okay. You, but you buy competitors. When you are look, you know, Janos, imagine a world where you have fewer players, bigger fleets, and so automatically they have bigger, bigger market cap because they have bigger fleets. So that that could be a solution. Yeah. But liquidity is a very important issue, especially big investors. They don't want to get stuck in a company that they can't get out on a quick basis. You know, so liquidity in the is market, this can never happen to have five companies eat 20 percent each. It cannot. No, I agree with you. In the container market, certainly that's the situation, and this is why. Containers is a different animal. It's not uh, shipping uh, demand, supply, and sentiment. Well, if you're looking at container space uh, today from the liner's perspective, over the past three years, they used to have about over 30 companies. Over the past few years, they consolidated to the 10 companies. And through this COVID-19 and trade war, I think as recent as uh, today, I think uh, Maersk actually is going to upgrade the four years uh, guidance. Uh, so all the companies was able to drive the efficiency through the consolidation and further through yeah. the alliance. With the alliance and, and consolidation, and I think the industry is much more efficient. Uh, you know, I, I think our vessels being deployed in these alliance, they have record loadability in that the utilizations went up significantly. So as an industry, I think that is a way to go because that brings the sustainability and it brings the efficiency. So looking at, you know, from one level down to the owners, I think, you know, not maybe not five accounts for 20% each, maybe it's 10 accounts for 10% each. So that makes the, you know, the resources much more, you know, optimized to use and brings the efficiency and quality and standard. Yeah, and I see actually a very good question from the audience. Uh, I was about to raise it, but go ahead. Uh, since yeah, you identified so, it, uh, go, go ahead. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the question is one of the reasons investors are so disillusioned with shipping is that buying ships at NAV, which immediately go to 50% of NAV on the balance sheet, is a terrible capital allocation decision. What will it take before we see a return to shipping companies placing a priority on distributions? First of all, I completely agree that when one's share is trading at a discount to NAV, it is a terrible capital allocation decision to buy a ship for cash. And when we've been buying fleets recently, we have been basically using our shares uh, together with as much cash as our existing leverage on the balance sheet so that basically we're not um, placing a bet we're increasing the market cap, we're increasing the company's liquidity, but we're not increasing our 
let's say corporate leverage or our bet on ships. It's fundamentally different from buying ships for cash, which frankly at this point with our share trading below NAV, we would not do. Um, and we would love to place a priority on distributions. What that takes is cash flow. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, uh, that's basically waiting for the demand for dry bulk shipping in our case to grow faster than the dry bulk fleet. And, you know, for us to have a, a, an upcycle um, where but, uh, we would love to pay big dividends. But uh, Amish, but uh, don't you think that this is happening in the last couple of years that you see new buildings really dropping dramatically compared to yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's, we're close. We're close. We're moving and, in the right direction, at least. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and as you can see with Cape size rates, you know, the Cape size market is great. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're close. And, you know, if it hadn't been for COVID 19, 2020 might have been the year. Um, can, I, can I reverse? Go ahead, Yanni. And we are doing something better. We, are, we have such a strong balance sheet and cash aside that we can buy back our shares at a big discount to NAV, which is a much better proposition. So basically, we are investing in our own vessels with a 50 and 40% uh, reduction on the yeah, actual I, price I, of the I, vessel. I, I, I could object to that, that you're doing a great deal for yourself, but not for the shareholder who bought those shares and then it's selling them at 50%. No, 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 no. no. You, you understand that the number of shares goes down and on a per share basis, the NAV on a per share basis becomes better. No, this is a good thing for the shareholders. No, when no, the company buys back the shares on, at a discount to NAV, this is the best thing you can do for a shareholder. Yeah, absolutely, but, but, but not for the guy who has to sell. The guy who sold it is kind of a capitulation trade and he has to get out and, uh, and, and he's out at, uh, at 50% from the Same applies to the guy who sells a vessel. Yes, it's okay. They, they are selling. I think, uh, I think also we have to be a little bit disciplined ourselves as, a, as, a, uh, as an industry because the investors will want different things at different times. You know, if we had ordered a new building in 2014, 15, our share price went up, our automatically went up because we were growing and growth was seen as really important at that point. You fast forward to today, growth is not seen as important because I think people are saying, actually, you know, show me the money, show me the cash flow that comes from this fleet you've got. And, you know, you know, we'd like you to make sure that you get your balance sheet in a really good place. And so growth kind of goes out. And so I think as, as taking Marco's point, you know, the good thing sometimes about the private market is it, it, private ownership is it potentially gives you a better long term view. I think, though, you can get away with that in the in the equity markets as well, provided you're disciplined and you don't necessarily just go with the wind that, that's blowing at any given time. I'll give you a great example. When I was working at, when I was working at TK, um, an investor came in and at that time I was running a fleet of um, Aframaxes. And we had some on time charter, some on, on, um, some on spot. And I said to him, what would you like us to do? Do you prefer the spot exposure? Do you prefer the time charter exposure? He said, when the market's down, I want all your ships time chartered. And when the market's up, 
I want them all in the spot market. So just go away and do it. And it was at that point I realized, okay, let's just get the strategy we want to have as a company and let's be true to that and, and sort of go through. And if you like, don't get too pulled either way by what the investors are saying. If you truly believe you've got the right strategy for the company, you know, you know, come through eventually. Something similar to that I heard from a Greek friend that when the market is good, you always have too few ships. When the market is bad, you always have too many. You know, it's the same principle. Yeah. Let me, gentlemen, we're, we're getting to the last five minutes. So I'd like to quickly switch and ask Bing, um, what would you consider the biggest industry disruption risk that we haven't touched on yet in this discussion? And how do you position C-SPAN to, to deal with that in this current environment? Yeah, actually, I, I you know fully agree with Paul's comment just now. Is that you have to be disciplined and you have have to have a strategy. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that can come to us whether surprised uh, or whether it's anticipated. One of the examples is COVID nineteen. I think COVID nineteen it comes to everybody's surprise. And I'm very proud to say that uh, you know on one hand we don't know there's a COVID nineteen. On the other hand, I think uh, through this COVID-19, this brand itself has proven to be a very resilient uh, business. We actually have actually also uh, updated our you know, four-year guidance uh, in Q1. We actually uh, you know, tighten our guidance in Q2 uh, in, on, on, a, on a high end. Um, our business actually have been very, you know, performance has been very well despite the fact that there's so much of uncertainties that is brought by this COVID-19, uh, both from a logistics standpoint, also from, uh, from a you know, general economic standpoint. So the, the very important part is, is that you have to have a discipline. Um, you, know, uh, you have to have a business model that is, that's, that is sustainable. Now for us, we're really focusing on you know, working with our customer you know, we, we grow and, and, and develop our business based on the demand from our customer. Basically, we have a, you know, a very best-in-class operations. We've been very disciplined in improving our balance sheet, uh, working with the customer on a long-term contract providing solution. And also, uh, most importantly, we have a platform and a team of people and those are the people that who really is, is, is you know, taking that kind of uh, ownership and being able to, you know, taking on the challenges, leveraging their expertise. And that is why we coming out through this, through this, you know, unprecedented pandemic. And I think we, we, we are really proud of what we have achieved. And that is, again, is that you have to have the very consistent, disciplined, uh, you know, business model. And to, this, to the surprise that we actually, throughout this uh, pandemic, we grow our business at least by 40%, 4 zero. Fantastic. No, uh, um, thank you for that, Bing. I mean, um, we're reaching now down to the last minute and I keep getting the updates from Nicholas. We have a number of questions from the audience and some are directed to specific speakers. So I, I, I will um, send those to them and see if we can procure answers or I think uh, um, there is there are separate sessions that can happen uh, in, in, in the forum or generally uh, perhaps to address those. But I, I, just a closing remark uh, from uh, um, each of the panelists, um, I, you know, kind of what do you see in the next five years uh, projecting forwards? Ten seconds each, uh, starting with Yanni. Um, if we're doing this again in five years, what are we talking about then? Uh, I think 
today as we speak, as a closing comment, I want to say that uh, the challenges that everybody sees ahead is a good opportunity for strong companies to take advantage of. And it's a good opportunity for the weak or a bad opportunity for the weak companies to go out of business. So uh, the only thing we have to do as companies is try to outperform and be better than what the others are doing in the same industry. And we think at the end of the day, the last one to die is going to get everything. Fair enough. With that, with that um, I'm afraid we will have to stop now to uh, allow for the remaining program of um, Captain Link's uh, forum. Thank you all very much. As I said, uh, a number of questions. I'm pretty uh, um, happy to see that we have uh, so many questions from the audience. We will procure to answer those separately. Thank you to the audience. Thank you to the panelists. Uh, hope you all enjoyed it. And uh, thank you to Nico and his team for uh, hosting us and giving us the opportunity to present these topics today. Thank, thank you very much. It was thank really was very interesting. Thank you very much. Um, thank you from me too. This has been truly a very engaging and very interesting panel. <laughs> Great topic. So we could have been going on for very, very debated. <laughs> That's good. Huh? We, we have <laughs> to review our, our meeting uh, for another day so we can carry on for an hour. <laughs> very good topic. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Bye. -bye. bye, -bye. bye, -bye. bye, -bye.